Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore with Icy, or welcome back if you are indeed a returning visitor. This week we're going to wrap up the last of Fairy Month, which we started because of Fairies in Midsummer Night's Dream. I thought it made sense. And we're going to actually look at something slightly different, because it's an encounter with the fairies that actually led to a series of prophecies. And I thought this would actually nicely tie in with Good Omens, if you've been watching that on Amazon Prime not Netflix, as people thought in the petition. Basically, we're going to have a look at the story of Thomas the Rhymer and how he relates to fairies. I've also titled this episode Thomas the Rhymer and his predilection for prediction, which I thought was funny, so apologies if you don't. Now anyway, so who is Thomas the Rhymer? He basically falls into the same sort of category of British seers as people like Mother Shipton in Yorkshire, and he made various prophecies in history, some of which have come true. Now, he does exist in reality. There was actually a guy called Thomas. In some versions of the story, he's Thomas Remo de Ursuldoon, and then in others, he's Thomas Leamont. Uh, either way, many people agree that the real Thomas was born somewhere around 1220, because he does actually pop up in a charter in between 1260 and 1280, and he pops up in another one in 1294, so he was a real person. So the reason why we're looking at him is because he claimed that his gift of prophecy came from the Queen of Fairyland herself, which obviously is quite a large claim to make. But we're going to go back to the beginning, we're going to have a look at how we encountered her in the first place, what that encounter was like, and then what kind of predictions he made as a result. So we're going to go back in time, obviously, and we're going to look at Thomas as a young man. Now, he lived in the area that's now called the Scottish Borders, which is not really that far from me. And he enjoyed walking in the countryside. It's beautiful up there, so I'm not at all surprised. And according to a legend, he often enjoyed sitting under a particular tree. Some people think it was a hawthorn, which we'll come to in a second. And some people think that the Eildon Hills, which is Thomas's favourite view, actually acts as the gateway to fairyland. There's umpteen places around the country and no doubt other places as well where people say that where they are is the gate to fairyland. Although, as we saw in the last episode, you can actually create fairy-friendly gardens yourself. So take it with a pinch of salt. But anyway, plenty of legends actually swirl around these three peaks. And one of them involves a man who finds King Arthur's court sleeping inside one of the hills. Obviously, we've covered the King of the Mountain before and King Arthur. So if you have a look at previous episodes, you can find both of those things. Now, there is actually a stone that marks the apparent site of the tree. This is how popular and important his legend is to the area. So first of all, we're going to unpack why is the Hawthorne tree significant? There's a whole range of legends and superstitions around hawthorn trees. They're often associated with the Celts and the ancient Romans and Greeks both use hawthorn to represent home. It does appear in Christianity as the thorn of Christ's crown of thorns and elsewhere Joseph of Arimathea, he was the one who allegedly brought the Holy Grail to Glastonbury, carried a staff made of hawthorn. So that's why the tree on Glastonbury's tor is a hawthorn. But for our purposes, Hawthorne marks this gateway to Fairyland. 
And some legends, fairies actually live inside hawthorn trees, which is why people hated cutting them down, because it incurred their fairly considerable wrath. Incidentally, and this is a slight side issue, Westminster actually stands on quite a marshy, boggy part of London. I'm not going to make any snide comments about that, I'll leave that to your imagination. But apparently, a a sacred stand of thorn trees once actually stood on the site of Westminster Abbey, which back then was called Thorny Island, so make of that what you will. Personally, I think that's quite interesting when you then consider some of the legends that Queen Elizabeth herself was actually half-fairy, and often referred to as Gloriana. And that is why she never had children, apparently. But make of that what you will. Anyway, there is a superstition that you should never bring hawthorn blossoms into your house or you'll bring sickness with you. Now, there is actually a scientific reason for that. And scientists have actually found that there's a chemical in hawthorn blossom, which you also find in decaying animal tissue, which probably explains why people in medieval times thought the blossom actually smelled like the Great Plague. Anyway, back to Thomas the Rhymer. So he's sitting under his hawthorn, enjoying the view. And he sees the Queen of Elfland, otherwise known as the Queen of the Fairies, riding a white horse. Some say he met her after he fell asleep. Others think she just rode past while he was enjoying the view. Now, the first point I want to make here is the Queen of the Fairies is not Titania. Some people also call her Mab, but there's actually no real evidence that the Fairy Queen ever had a name. If she did, traditional folklore doesn't actually tell us what it is. And Titania comes from A Midsummer Night's Dream, so that was something that Shakespeare if he indeed wrote his plays. He basically came up with that. Now, I've got a theory that no one knows the Queen's name purely because she just never told anyone. And if you look at someone like Rumpelstiltskin, look at what power you can have in knowing someone's name. So that's why I think she doesn't tell people what it is. But anyway, the stories do vary at this point. So he's met the Queen, presumably had some kind of chat. But the one common factor is that Thomas ends up having this trip to Fairyland. Now, apparently the Queen dares him to kiss her, and he does, and then that means that she asks him, do you want to be my servant for the next seven years? He, for some reason, goes, okay then, but there is a condition attached, and he agreed anyway. The condition was Thomas couldn't speak while he was there, or he'd be stuck in Fairyland forever. Some people think that he only had to keep quiet about their relationship, obviously so as not to annoy the Fairy King, Other people think he couldn't speak at all, but it does resemble quite a lot of the other stories about both Fairyland and the Underworld, which we've looked at in previous episodes, that you can't eat anything from that realm or you'll be trapped there. So either way, he agrees and Thomas becomes the Queen's servant. Now, this is where it's quite interesting because she does uphold her end of the bargain and releases him back to real life after seven years. But at this point, he apparently possesses the ability to tell the future. In one version of the story, he's kept his silence for seven years and the Queen gives him an apple as wages, which does seem a bit harsh for seven years worth of work. But this was no ordinary apple and apparently it granted the tongue that cannot lie. So obviously Thomas goes back to ordinary life. That's that's common in all the stories. But in some of them, he comes back and he can only tell the truth, which kind of makes me think a little bit of the film Liar Liar. In other ones, he starts issuing prophecies and becomes a celebrity. And then there's other versions which claim he disappears into the forest and he's never seen again, and that's where he presumably returns to Elfland. The earliest known version of the story dates to just before the mid-15th century, and the part of the story, including Elfland, comes from the Ballad of Thomas the Rhymer. And scholars think that they've traced bits of that ballad back to the late 13th century, which would actually put it into the lifetime of the real-life Thomas Learmont, 
Whether that means it's any more likely to be true or not, I'll leave that up to you to decide. But it's quite interesting that there is at least this link, which you don't often get. There are other ballads, and they all talk about an older story. And some people actually think that Thomas himself wrote the very first version as a form of autobiography. But no copies exist of that one as far as anyone knows, unless he took them all back to Elfland with him. So Walter Scott actually made the story famous in his 1802 collection, Minstrelsy of the Scottish Border, and Scott even bought the land where Thomas apparently met the Fairy Queen, and there are suggestions that he identified with this prophet, so you might question how objective his poem might be. Now many people believe that Thomas's gift from the fairies explained his ability to predict key events in Scottish history. Other people take it even further and they say that Thomas is one of these King in the Mountain figures so he'll return when Scotland needs him. And the stories that claim he returned to Elfland also follow these patterns and again he will return if and when Scotland needs him. There's no particular thing that you seem to be able to do to signal that you want him to come back. It seems to be down to his own personal judgement. But the thing is, so we're going to have a look at his predictions because that's the thing that directly links him to the fairies. Now, I'm going to tell you what some of these predictions are in a minute. First of all, are they true? Well, it's basically a yes and a no. Because let's be honest, if you spout enough stuff, eventually some of it is bound to come true. Nostradamus is the best example of that. Some of these prophecies, you're like, wow, that's really uncanny. But they only became obvious after the fact. And I can't help thinking that it's not really much use unless actually it makes sense before the event. Anyway... So there are at least five things that came true that he predicted. And that's the death of King Alexander III in 1286. Obviously, that was in his lifetime. Apparently, he did predict that one before it happened. There was the Battle of Bannockburn in 1314 and the subsequent Scottish victory. There was the ascension of Robert the Bruce to the Scottish throne. King James IV defeated Flodden in 1513. And Mary, Queen of Scots, defeat in 1567. Some people associate what they did with his predictions to kind of lend them a little bit more weight. So who knows how many of these prophecies are actually just political nonsense. We don't know. Now, without the prophecies, Thomas the Rhymer might have just been another person who claimed to have been taken by the fairies. And this is actually quite a common story that you find throughout a lot of myths and legends of Britain. And I can't help wondering how many people like to try and explain the fact that they'd maybe gotten home a little bit worse for wear from the pub or, I don't know, maybe they'd fallen asleep in a field or something on the way back. It was easier to go, ooh, I was taken by the fairies, than actually admit that you'd fallen asleep in the field. But the thing that's quite interesting is women who were tortured for information during the witchcraft trials often gave quite similar stories to Thomas. So you have to wonder why would a man who said this in the late 13th century suddenly become a prophet, whereas a woman who says this in maybe the 16th, 17th century they then get hung as a witch. I do think the key difference, we're not even going to get into the gender stuff because that is a huge topic and that is beyond our scope. But the difference is that the women who said they'd been taken to fairyland or whatever didn't make predictions that many believed were accurate. And also by the time of the witchcraft trials, his story was already about 300, 400 years old. So people had a different view of witchcraft and fairies by that point. Fairies themselves, I mean, the way that people talk about them has changed so much throughout the ages. And that's why you go from them being believed as this ancient race of pre, yeah, pre-Celtic people, really. And you get that all the way through to the Disney version. And it's really in the Victorian era that you get the huge change from 
the fae being, you know, their own race to just like pottering about granting wishes and whatnot. That's that's the Victorians. But anyway, back to Thomas the Rhymer. Will he ever return? Now, I think it's unlikely because the stories always say that the hero returns when the country is at its darkest hour. But who is to say what and when that dark time will actually be? Perhaps we've already survived it, in which case Thomas the Rhymer didn't come back, as far as we know. For all I know, he might come back and take to Twitter. We'll never know. But it could also be that it's yet to come. Who knows? So that is the story of Thomas the Rhymer. Basically, meets the Queen of Elfland, ends up being able to issue prophecies, becomes famous for basically the rest of time. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Next week we are starting a new theme because it's July so people will be going on holiday and they might be going to the beach and enjoying being by the sea. So we're going to be having a look at aquatic mythology. This was also a request by one of my lovely, lovely, lovely listeners and subscribers. So again, if you have any requests that you'd like to get in, please feel free to email me and I'm more than happy to oblige. So aquatic mythology next week we're going to start off with selkies which you may or may not come across before they're really cool and then we'll go on to the likes of mermaids sirens and possibly naiads as well just because they're they're quite interesting that's it from me for this week i will see you next week hope you have a fabulous time and i'll catch you soon cheerio Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com. And that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead and I'll see you soon. Cheerio.